0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's over there wandering around in circles, and this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast about the Church of the Subgenius, at long last.
0: When did you become acquainted with the Church of the Subgenius?
1: Um I had a uh a group of friends that walked on the odder side of life, darker sure. side of life, less, you know, less serious side of life, I'm not sure. Um in the 90s and yeah. there was one guy who was big time into the Church of the Subgenius. Um, That's how it happens, right? Yeah, that was my first introduction. <laughs> and then I actually came across um The Hour of Slack on Georgia Tech student radio once. Uh-huh. And, uh, like in the early 2000s. And- Rec yeah. Radio. I-, I never got into it, though. Are you actually like a secret subgenie?
0: No, same as you. I had a friend in college, uh, a very influential friend, actually, who turned me on to a lot of different things as I was just getting into college and exploring mm-hmm. different ways of life and thought patterns. And, uh- <laughs> yeah, and Sherm Sticks. <laughs> yeah, my buddy Jason. He 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 turned me on to a lot of things in life, and I've I've been able to tell him so, uh, which is always a nice thing. And and Bob Dobbs in the Church of Subgenius was one of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, and like it, you might not be utterly familiar with the Church of the Subgenius, but I'll bet there's a pretty good chance that a lot of stuff you should know, listeners, are at, at least familiar with it without even being fully aware that, of what it is. But there's a um, very very famous uh, picture of a clean-cut, m- mid-century, middle-aged dude w- with a pipe clenched in his teeth and almost like a um, Patrick Bateman psychotic look on yeah. his face. like almost Patrick
0: just, Bateman meets Ward Cleaver.
1: Exactly. Yes, Chuck. I don't <laughs> think anyone's ever put it better than that. And that is J.R. Bob Dobbs, who is the high-profit of the Church of the Subgenius. And he has popped up everywhere from the background at Pee Wee's Playhouse. There was a Sublime record that had him on there. Um, like he shows up all over the place. It's almost like code. Um, and so you probably have seen it even if you're not familiar with the Church of the Subgenius. That's called the Dobbs Head.
0: Right. Uh, gathered from clip art, which we will see. It's kind of one of the fun in-jokes mm-hmm. about a, a pseudo- religion, a satire and parody of religion, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it was formed by two guys. We'll get into the history, but I have a, a sort of a favorite definition, and I know you do, and maybe we'll just read both of them. Okay, uh, Mine comes from Steve Davis of the Austin Chronicle, and he said this, in the late 70s, the Church of the Subgenius was intended as a dogmatic antidote to a reemergent mediocrity, embracing an aesthetic in confluence with evolving... New wave sensibilities and tropes in music, film, and pop culture. It was an end joke with a half serious punchline.
1: Very nice. That was great.
0: And what you, you, yours was from Ed the Grabster himself. He kind of put it nicely. Yeah, didn't also
1: he? from the Austin Chronicle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Ed said that it's that the best way to explain the church is it is a joke, but to get the joke, you have to see that it isn't really a joke at all, but is actually getting at harrowing truths about the world. Not bad, Ed. Not bad. So the whole thing, uh, I think it scared Ed a little bit. I think so too. It's (laughs) hilarious and cute, but the the whole thing is that it is a parody of a religion, a parody of a cult, a UFO sex cult. If you want to get technical, Um, it's a it's a absurdist in joke, and the whole thing is one big in joke made up of like millions of tiny little in jokes that anybody in the church can kind of generate and create. But it's all kind of Hung on the skeleton of this um, this doctrine of the the prophet Bob Dobbs, who is this the world's greatest salesman, um, who is basically carrying out the will of an alien god, who may or may not love us or the subgenie, as they're called in plural, and it, 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 like. Either it sucks you in immediately and you're like, I want to know more about this because this is hilarious. Or it repulses you because it is making fun of everything that you hold dear. There's not a lot of middle ground, although I would count myself as somebody in the middle ground to tell you the truth.
0: Uh,
1: That was so (laughs) awesome, Chuck. Nicely done. Yeah, what I just
0: did there, and you'll see this a lot if you watch the documentary, if you see any YouTube footage of uh, people from the sub. The Genius Church hanging out at one of their uh, devivals. They don't call them revivals; they no. call them devivals. Yeah, uh, they will do this thing where they kind of uh, juggle their throat with their hand as they sort of do this weird chant. Yeah, and I didn't find much information on that specifically, but I did see them doing it all over the place.
1: Well, it is a huge, huge rabbit hole, and as we'll see, like some people oh, accidentally yeah. take it seriously, and that's not the right thing to do at all. That is, no. that is a um. That is a uh, mentally unsound thing to do. That is not what yeah. the intention is or anything like that. The intention is is to basically point out how just warped our consumer culture is. And it made a lot more sense in the 80s before our culture ended up becoming the, the parody that the Church of the Subgenius was, was carrying out.
0: Yeah, it had, a, it had a very Mad Magazine vibe. Uh, you know, something I know that you and I both grew up loving and cherishing and I could Mm -hmm. see like, you know, if, if that's something as mainstream as you want to liken it to, to help people understand, it's almost as if Mad Magazine started a, a religion and Alfred E. Newman was the God and it was all just one big joke about consumer culture and, uh, and then if people end up taking it seriously, you can really see why, like, that would be a very strange thing. Like, right. of course, Alfred E. Newman is not God. Right. And, of course, Bob Dobbs is not God right. uh, or the prophet. But uh, these two guys founded this this kind of funny joke religion mm-hmm. in the late 1970s because they were like-minded dudes. And what started as a joke grew into, a, I, don't, I guess, a mini-phenomenon.
1: I don't know, man. I think it's— Or
0: major phenomena.
1: I would say major as far as cult classic or cult phenomena go. And also, we should also—I think we should preface all this, if it's not too late, to all of the Church of the Subgenius members out there, past and present um, and future. Um, This is one of those things where, like, if you explain what makes something funny— Right. It is, like, that's the least funny thing you can do. So if we yeah. trapes into that just by virtue of explaining things, I, we're sorry.
0: I know. Because it is a fun, kind of cool thing that was created for people mm-hmm. that felt like they were on the outside of Pre- things.
1: Precisely, yes.
0: Uh, for, for outcasts and weirdos who didn't fit in necessarily, they found common ground before the Internet. Yeah. By writing letters back and forth to each other. They kind of had the Internet through pen and paper. Mm-hmm in these devivals. And uh, we have uh, Douglas St. Clair Smith and Steve Wilcox to thank for this.
1: Yeah, the original outsider weirdos.
0: That's right. Uh, You may not know him by that name. If you're familiar with the Church of the Subgenius, you know them as uh, Ivan Stang and Philo Drummond. Mm -hmm. And these were two guys, like I said, who were, uh, they were in Texas. I think Philo grew up in a religious family, but uh, and had a really good childhood. It wasn't some like stifling situation, mm-hmm. but he was always sort of didn't quite fit in and felt like the outsider at school and was seeking outsider culture. And uh, whereas uh, Stang was, I think he described himself in the documentary as secular humanist scientist in his upbringing, mm-hmm. um, super liberal family. Whereas uh, I keep on calling him Wilcox. Whereas Philos was. Um, more conservative, to be sure. But they found common ground when a friend introduced them. They said, you both love comic books. You both love Frank Zappa and Captain Beefheart. Mm-hmm. Get together and you might have a new friend. And they were immediate friends.
1: Yeah, yeah, they definitely hit it off, in part also because they both kind of just felt like they didn't really fit into Dallas, Texas at the time. That helps. One of the other things they really lo- they had in common was a love of like earnest, bona fide, extremist pamphlets. Right, they're fun. Yeah, whether it's (laughs) extremist religious groups, extremist like, um, you know, uh, like white supremacist groups, which I'm sure Dallas, Texas in the 70s had quite a bit of. Like anybody who is just kind of off the rails and was trying to recruit other people to be off the rails with them Mm -hmm. and, and made a pamphlet about that. These guys would collect it and relish it, and um, that also included, remember the Jack Schick tracks? In the mm-hmm. Satanic Panic episode, they were huge into that. It had a huge influence on them as well. Those comic strips about how somebody, you know, um, had sex before marriage and now they were burning in hell kind of stuff. Like, that. they they took all these things together and they kind of used them as the the basis for this outlook on the world, which is humans are totally nuts in a lot of ways. And then even more than that, they can be dangerously nuts when they try to foist or impose pose their own crazy thoughts onto you and make you behave a certain way because of their crazy thoughts that that's the danger that comes out of modern life and I think that's one of the things that really stuck out to them and the thing that drove them to kind of kind of try to fight that however they could
0: yeah I have to say i I see the appeal of what they did because uh, if you remember a few years ago God this is quite a few years ago now our our buddy Joe Randazzo mm-hmm. and I wrote a TV pilot together mm-hmm. about a um, a Scientology esque religion, and it never went anywhere. We even had a few pitch meetings and nothing happened with it. But in writing that script, we had to create our own religion mm-hmm. for that pilot, and you can't just say, "Well, let's just call it this," and it's whatever. Like you have to really kind of explore the tenets of it and make it a real thing. Mm-hmm. And we did that, and uh, I made a pamphlet. Joe and I made it together, and I kind of put <laughs> awesome. it together. And we brought the pamphlet to the pitch meetings, and it I'll send you one sometime. It's yes, really please. funny. Our, our religion was called binarism, and it was like number, this numbers-based kind of Scientology thing. But it was so much fun. And all I could think about when these two guys got together in 1979— and hatched this idea was, yeah, it's a lot of fun to create a phony religion, Yeah, even for a screenplay.
1: Yeah, and they were definitely inspired by um, L. Ron Hubbard and his success at basically founding Scientology based on some science fiction ideas that he had. And then yeah. becoming rich. There was a, f- a famous quote attributed to L. Ron Hubbard that you can't get rich writing science fiction, but you can get rich by writing or uh, by founding your own religion. And so – so you we should be really careful here they weren't inspired by L. Ron hubbard in the sense like they wanted to take advantage of people i think they were more fascinated by the fact that there are plenty of people out there who will buy into this right and i think they kind of wanted to explore that not not in any kind of like it's weird it's the whole thing is kind of a cynical it comes from a cynical place where you just have to be cynical to to be to be critical enough of society to see it for what it is. But it's also, like, a very humanist group as well, where, like, they're not trying to hurt you. They're not trying to exploit you. They definitely come off as superior a lot of times, especially if you're not in on the joke because that makes you— by definition, part of the butt of the joke,
0: right? Makes you normie.
1: Yes, but for the most part, they're not. They're not like a group of people who like hate or despise other people. I think they're fascinated by the fact that that kind of stuff exists, and they're also fascinated by just how um, conformist the average person is, without even thinking about it. Um, yeah. So. Uh, they were fascinated, I guess, is the way to put it, by L. Ron Hubbard and his success with Scientology. And there was another quote that was attributed to Stang. I don't know if it was in the documentary that came out recently or not. But he basically said, "If we figured that if Jim Jones can get 900 people to kill themselves, we could get 900 people to send us a dollar. Yeah, And they kind of wanted to <laughs> toy around with that and see— You know, if that was the case, not to exploit people, but just to kind of see, I think, if there was anybody else out there. they were kind of shouting into the wilderness. And the way that you told them that you were out there was to mail in a dollar and say, give some of your pamphlet.
0: Yeah. And here's the deal. Stang, it looks like by all accounts, has generally made his living doing this over the year. (laughs) Yeah, it worked. He's he's not gotten rich. It's not a Scientology thing where it's like, and send me a hundred more dollars and we'll give you another thing. No. It's really just sort of mail us some money and we'll send you our comedy goods in the mail. Yeah. Like And he still stuffs envelopes and he still sends pamphlets and CDs and literature today. mm -hmm. It's like, you know, it's like paying for a mad magazine or something, but it's just done from this guy's house.
1: Yeah. I also get the impression that the Far and away, the vast majority—the people who understand the Church of Subgenius for what it is—when they send money, and they're sending it out of like gratitude for what sure. Stang and and um, Philo have built together. Yeah, hundred percent. That, that, that's that's what it is. They're they're not being duped in any way. They're in on the joke. They're just showing their support by um, shoveling money toward those guys.
0: All right, I think that is a a great preamble. Uh, you're either turning off your hi-fi system now. <laughs> <laughs> or you're, uh, or you're intrigued by what's to come, and we'll talk about uh, the night it all hatched right after this. So these guys are hanging out. It's 1979. Mm -hmm. They didn't have – I think Philo was the one who always had a pretty decent job. He kind of had an okay career, and he always wanted to – there were times where he kind of dropped in and out Mm -hmm. of his involvement because he did have a decent career, but he always supported it, whereas Stang was all in from the beginning and didn't have a a ton of prospects for work. Mm -hmm. But they were hanging out, and they were like kind of wondering why they – you know, didn't have more and why they weren't as successful as they thought they should be. And Stang said, you know, we aren't geniuses. You know, we must be sub-geniuses. Mm-hmm. And he says in the documentary, he was like, that's the moment that was literally like a lightning bolt out of the sky that hatched this idea. So they kind of took all their interest in all these weird pamphlets and weird UFO cults and pseudo-religions and New Age beliefs. And they made the original pamphlet uh, spent $60 on this original pamphlet and we're just leaving him at dry cleaners and stuff like that until Stang's wife got mad and she was like, that's a lot of money for us. <laughs> at least send this to some publishers mm-hmm. and see if you can do something with this. So they sent it to every publisher under the sun and got rejected by every, uh, every publisher under the sun. But um, <laughs> it's pretty funny that later they did end up having a fairly successful book, but early on book, publishers didn't know what to do with these guys.
1: Yeah, and you can understand why if you've ever seen what's called pamphlet number 1 now, which is part of the church doctrine. This is like the sacred writings. The 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 idea is that um Ivan Stang is the sacred scribe who mm-hmm. took down the words of Bob <laughs> Dobbs. And by the way, Bob Dobbs, the Bob is always in quotes. It, it, not just when you say J.R. Bob Dobbs, like even if you say Bob Dobbs or even just Bob, it's always in quotes. That's how you yes. write his name. Um, and that Bob was getting his uh, divine inspiration from Jehovah One, that alien overlord that that runs Earth. Um, and this was kind of like the the conceit of the the pamphlet. And the front of the pamphlet said things like "The world ends tomorrow, and you may die," in all caps. Um, it asked, uh, do people think you're strange? Do you? Um, <laughs> I know, I love that one. There was so another good. one that said, eternal salvation or triple your money back. So, like, these yeah. are the things on like on and in the pamphlet. And they're, they're going around to publishers being like, hey, you want to you give us some money for this? So, of course, everybody said no. The most astounding thing is that eventually somebody actually said yes. At, I think McGraw-Hill.
0: Yeah, and th- this was much later when they finally did get their book published uh after they had quite a following and the the sort of writing was on the wall with these you know fairly successful gatherings and live shows. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, the book came later. Early on they they got together and started uh just as buddies getting on the CB radio and doing and this again, this was like you would get on the internet today, back then it was the CB. Mm-hmm. And they would do these sort of parody voices Um, it basically hatched what was the beginnings of what would end up being the Hour of Slack uh, radio show, which is 90 minutes long, part of the joke. Mm. And uh, people started hollering back at them. He said they were trolls before they were trolls. They were kind of trolling people on the CB. Right. And then other people would troll back and call them uh, pinks. And that's where the notion of pinks or pink boys came up. (laughs) And pink boys, uh, they kind of flipped it. Uh, in the Church of the subgenius, pink boys are the others they're the squares they're the ones who just follow along and go to their nine to five job mm-hmm. and spend their consumer money mm-hmm. in you know uh, in on catalog items and uh, Anyone else outside is a pink or a pink boy
1: yes, but but there's a distinction between. Uh, say people like you and I, and actual dyed-in-the-wool pink boys, the kind, sure. the like middle manager types who are yeah. like <laughs> not only fully bought into the the con, the great con that's going on, they actually like. Like almost violently defend it in its existence and its its rightness um, those are those are pinks they 're irreparable there 's nothing that 's ever going to help them and they 're genuine humans now there are plenty of subgenii out there who don 't know they're subgenii they haven 't been exposed to the church so they 've never seen a dobbs head maybe whatever reason they're they 're not aware that they 're a subgenius yet and if you 're a true subgenius then you have yeti blood coursing through your veins <laughs> yeah now if you 're an, an actual sub genius that means that you are a uh, of yeti heritage uh who is who has basically become aware of the teachings of bob and are now actively um working against the conspiracy and exploiting pink boys anytime you get a chance because again they're they're hopeless they're they're never going to be converted because they don't have any yeti blood in them
0: right uh and to reiterate, I don't know if I, I kinda just tossed it off earlier, but
1: <laughs> tossed it off.
0: Bob Dobbs is a piece of clip art. Literally that <laughs> face that you see was a piece of clip art from clip art catalog, and they loved clip art because it was free. Yeah. And a lot of their early stuff was just collage from clip art that they had found. And this was from a clip art catalog, and now it's, you know. One of the, you know, arguably one of the most famous pieces of clip art there is.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if it was a joke. It's so hard to tell um, what's a joke and what's not because they play everything so straight. Um, yeah, they're in character, basically. Yeah, but that I saw on one of their websites, it, they said, "Reminder: This is a uh, this is this is a trademarked piece of art now, and as part of like the subgenius copyright subgenius." So I don't know if they actually did copyright oh, I it. I could totally see have. them doing that in real life, um, or if they were just joking about it. E- either way, yeah, it's kind of great.
0: So I think we probably can't go any further without explaining this concept of slack. Uh, I mentioned the, the radio show is called The Hour of Slack. And kind of the major, uh, I guess, philosophy and tenet of their religion is uh, is this concept of slack. Are you having
1: trouble describing it?
0: No I mean they they even say in the documentary it is not even to be described that they can't even describe it, mm-hmm. so whatever we do is going to be our own attempt okay uh, slack is different for every person but the the definite idea is what you think, which is being slack like kind of but not just being lazy having everything you need in life and being content while Giving up as little as possible, exertion-wise. Yeah, exertion-wise,
1: yeah, exertion exactly. Like like having done as little as possible to actually attain it. Um, that's one definition of Slack for sure. Um, the point is, like I think it's one of those things where you um, – or what is not Slack is easier to recognize than what is Slack. And I'll give you an example of something that happened today. Okay. Okay. Because I've been thinking about this. I'm like, how are we going to define slack? Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, I knocked over the toilet brush behind the the toilet in my bathroom, right? Okay. And, you know, like the little drippings that end up in, like, the toilet brush holder? Yes. They spilled out on the floor. Yeah. Those are the worst drippings. The. The worst drippings. <laughs> I, I would have rather spilled, like, like like raw pork juice onto my floor right. than those drippings. <laughs> They're bad drippings, right? Bad drippings. So I spent the next 10 minutes not only, like, cleaning up those drippings, and I mean, like, mm-hmm. cleaning it up. Like, there's, there's some floor missing now. I scrubbed it so hard. And then also cleaning the holder for the scrub brush— before I put everything back. And this is a totally unintentional, totally avoidable thing for me to be doing. That took up 10 minutes of my life. I did not want to be doing it. It was gross. It was yuck. And I realized this is the this is the perfect example of what is not slack. It's the conspiracy. It was the conspiracy that probably had something to do with it. But the, the point was, is I, like I was doing something I didn't want to do. And I was doing it I was getting no reward from it whatsoever. I was a little Mm -hmm. stressed out about it. It was not Slack. So Slack is the opposite of that. It's where things are going your way. Uh, It's where you are uh, content and happy. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have everything in life, like all the trappings of life. It very frequently doesn't mean that. Instead, it's just whatever it is that makes you content and because it, it's undefinable, that means that it's up to every subgenii to define what is slack for them.
0: Yeah, and the conspiracy is are the things that prevent you from atta- achieving slack. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, I think the conspiracy was literally like the man, that kind of thing. But it evolved over the years to the point where uh, one of the guys in the documentary said it evolved to, you know, it was like, when it rained really hard on a day you were going to do something, like that's the conspiracy. I got gotcha. you. It's things I think conspiring against you. Mm-hmm. That toilet brush knocking over—that's definitely the conspiracy, right? Uh, because it prevented you from, I
1: guess, taking your your mid-morning nap, <laughs> <laughs> right? And the uh, under the teachings of of Bob, the conspiracy is actually an acronym for cliques of normals secretly planning insidious rituals aimed at controlling you. You—that's a good. That's a good one. Agreed. And then uh, under the doctrine, like this is an actual group who they don't know what Slack is, but they know it exists. And they're bent on stealing as much of it as possible. And they start stealing it from everybody, pinks and Yeti, from the moment you're born. Um, (laughs) And so it's up to you to um to steal it back to get as much slack as you possibly can, but the problem with the conspiracy is they're the ones running the show here on earth they're the ones yeah. who are behind consumer culture um and they've created this illusion that that what what normals and pinks um and uh non subgenia yeti who haven't figured themselves out yet um buy into as life is all just this vast consumer conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Um and that uh they they actually offer what appears to be slack, but is like false, ma- slack. false slack is what they call yeah. it. Yeah, it's manufactured Slack. So it's like um the subgenius wiki is awesome. And they give examples of um like pre-planned recreation. Um, like days off from work that you earn or are given, like these are, this is all (laughs) false slack. Like it's somebody else deciding what your slack is and you buying into it. And that is the, that is not slack. Slack is you have to decide what slack is.
0: Right. And there is original slack. We're all born with original slack, according to the church. Mm -hmm. And the conspiracy chips away at that slack or sells you false slack over the years Mm -hmm to degrade your your natural slack that you're born with yep and then there's also involuntary slack, which is my favorite slack and this is like if you if you lose your job or something if you get fired this is just involuntary slack uh, that Bob is sending your way to force you to take a little time off.
1: Yeah, I saw a video from I guess 2009 or ten and it called the Great Recession, the great Slack session. Mm-hmm. And it basically said like the the financial markets have melted down, and it had like this real dramatic music. Of um, millions of people are out of out of work, no one has a clue about what to do about it. Victory is at hand. <laughs> <laughs> Um, There's one other thing I want to say about Slack, too. Um, There are basically two uh, groups, two approaches or philosophies as far as Slack is concerned. And I think it's pretty interesting that, like, the the whole concept is – gotten this far. It's, it's evolved into something. And I think this is a really good example of what happens with the church's teachings. Like, these guys just wrote some crazy stuff, like, back in the like, 70s, 80s, even into the 90s. And then other people who kind of vibed on it came along and expanded it. Like, I read, a, I read an essay on the, the scissors of sight, and apparently that's mentioned offhandedly in, uh, in pamphlet number one. And somebody wrote a whole essay on, about how they're still trying to figure out what those are, and they think it's from a crystal. In Atlantis, and um, it was just, just all, like that's just what they do. It's almost like they're putting stuff out there as like thought starters for other people's creativity to, to kind of sprout from. But anyway, the two, um, the two paths for Slack is kind of split between these two groups: the Rewardians and the Emergentiles, right? Yeah,
0: and the Emergentiles are getting their Slack because they're getting the things done that they kind of feel like they want and need to get done. Mm-hmm but it's under a deadline from someone else but then they have their slack and then the rewardians don't think this is more like Tao of Steve stuff did mm-hmm. you ever see that movie
1: no i need to though
0: i'm well aware of it it's sort of that was sort of that guy's deal he he was just like he had this life philosophy and he would have really fit in mm-hmm. with these uh with these folks mm-hmm. with the rewardians they're basically like slack off all the time don't do any work Until you absolutely have
1: to. (laughs) Right. I think there's quite a bit of pot involved every day kind of thing. Sure. Um, That wouldn't surprise me. And that's what I think most people would think of when they think of, like, slacking. Like, yeah, that's what you do when you slack. You don't work. You sit around. You smoke pot. You're, like, never put on pants or anything like that. And you're just having the time of your life. As long as, like, that's what you want to do. Um, Emergentiles are like, no, no. There's another way to do this. Like, I feel really good about accomplishing something, about like setting a goal and meeting it about but that's my goal like i want to learn how to climb a mountain so i'm going to go learn how to climb a mountain and climb that mountain and during that whole process i'm slacking like that's my slack um so those are kind of like the two ways of doing it and apparently the two groups kind of pity each other and think they have it completely backwards but the the point is is neither group is right or wrong because it's all up to the individual what your slack is
0: I mean, what these guys really—it was—it's such a time and place thing. They were born out of this sort of spirit of the merry pranksters, sixties counterculture, yeah. Ken Kesey yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. But they came along at a time where that had been bulldozed over, and the eighties were being born, which was about as anti—you know—sixties counterculture vibe as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. But these guys still had that sort of fun, playful idea. And you know this—this was their invention. I just—I always think it's just so fun and so cool. I every time I see a a, um, devival or a live show, Mm -hmm. I absolutely do not want to be there. No, but I think it's awesome. It was—I liken it to when I saw um, Spinal Tap in concert. They actually toured when I was in college, Mm -hmm. and I was such a fan of the movie. And when they played the Fox Theater, and we all went. And I had – it was not fun at all because it was like – it was funny as a movie, but you're at this rock and roll show that is supposed to kind of be funny. Uh-huh. But but there were also people that were really getting into the rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know – I was stuck in between worlds. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to feel. Yeah, it's not and when well. I was watching these subgenius live shows, I was kind of like, oh, that's like Spinal Tap Live. I don't want to be there, but I'm glad people are enjoying it.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like um – um yeah, and dude, they are enjoying it. The people who go to those are are genuinely having like the time of their lives. Like that's their sure. time to like just like just be themselves as much as they ever have in their life. I love it. Um, it it's almost like I would compare it to um, a uh, like a meeting of the Juggalos, <laughs> a a comic con. And like Guar show all mixed together. That's what the devivals these days kind of seem like, just based on what I've seen on the internet. Yeah, that's good. I like
0: it. And if you're if you think this is all really dumb, then you probably would not like their motto. Uh, They have a lot of sayings and mottos, but their chief one that they kind of yell out at these uh, devivals is uh, "f them if you can't take a joke or if they can't take a joke." Right. And I mean, it's right there, (laughs) like they're. It's amazing to me that some people took this too seriously because the motto is literally this is a joke.
1: Right. Yeah. And it it is really kind of like disconcerting because like if you do take it seriously, like you really have to go to great lengths to to get past all of the winks, the nods, the absurdity of everything. It suggests that there's like you're 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 worse off than the average cult member. 'Cause you're actually taking a joke cult as a cult. It's like when Fight Club got too serious. They yeah. started
0: blowing up buildings and
1: stuff. Yeah, I think so.
0: <laughs> Except there was no violence involved in the Church of the Subgenius.
1: No, they're they're peaceful.
0: That's right, because they're all stoned.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of them are. I think a lot of them are like the Frank Zappa types where they're just weird and they have nothing to do with drugs or yeah, alcohol or anything that like too. that.
0: That you too. Know? Those are they they were born with original stoned.
1: Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Requires no drugs. Apparently, Frank Zappler was a real jerk to people who did drugs. Like, he had that cafe or restaurant or club or whatever, and he uh-huh. would, like, kick you out if he thought you were on pot. Um, that's, that's conspiracy. Yeah. He was a little pink from what I can tell. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And you said also if this kind of stuff seems weird to you or whatever, or you don't like it, like, that's a pretty, like— fairly normal reaction it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you no but one of the reasons that that it might make you feel a little wobbly or a little shaky or like you're missing something or like you're being made fun of that kind of weird feeling in your stomach is because you probably are being made fun of like if you're not in on the joke like i said earlier by definition you're you're part of the butt of the joke you're a member of that that group um and if you actually are actively getting offended at what they're saying and doing, because one of the, one of the threads of humor that they very frequently use is bad taste, shock value, um, like, like it's just basically the opposite of PC. Like they, they really don't care for PC very much. Um, and if you're deeply offended by this stuff and you actually like respond to it, um, you're actually kind of proving their point that you are maybe a little too wrapped up in this culture that they're that they're basically saying like this this is a fraud this is all a fraud and and like you're you're proving that that there's problems with it by getting mad at something we're you know at a joke basically yeah and, and
0: you know before you start feeling too sorry for these people because they're being made fun of as like squares who aren't hip to the joke and don't get the joke i mean the original reason this was started was cuz these very people were outcast and being bullied by those very people Mm -hmm. to begin with. Right.
1: So let's take a break, man, and we'll talk about some of the lower points in the Church of the Subgenius that have happened across the years, huh? Let's do it. So, um, if you went to a revival, one of the things you would find Chuck is uh especially an early one is a lot of like put on preaching like evangelical mm-hmm. mock preaching, but the what the the guy's doing is like doing a a, a fire and brimstone preacher bit. bit, yeah, but what he's saying is espousing you know bob stuff about you know if they f him if they can't take a joke or um you know uh whatever um. And that, like, doesn't sit very well usually with people, but also it, it never really sits very well with me because it's obnoxious even in its real form, and it's super <laughs> obnoxious when it's, like, mocked because— Well, that's why I wouldn't want to be there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you and the anti-music is another reason. That was the next thing I was going to get to is, like, if you if you are not super into this— and probably on a pretty decent amount of acid back in like 1985 or four, <laughs> um, you, you the anti music would probably turn you off too. I know it, I don't like it at all either.
0: Yeah, it's basically the idea is that they would get a bunch of instruments, and you could just do whatever you want with them. And and the idea is that you're not you can't play these things; these are not skilled musicians or not even musicians at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would just make noise with them. And you know, when uh, watching the documentary, you get the idea from some of them that it's it's sort of like the drum circle that finally <laughs> everyone gets in synchronicity uh-huh, for a minute. Uh-huh. You're like, oh, okay, something just happened. Uh, that would happen occasionally, apparently, with the anti music, is that it would coalesce at a certain point, mm-hmm. or maybe that was the drugs talking. Mm-hmm. But basically, it's a bunch of people making a lot of awful noise and screaming.
1: Yes. Um, there was actually a time during the D, at D, at devivals, i think during the 90s maybe where a, a schism in the church developed um
0: well was very much planned yeah
1: right so um <laughs> the idea was so there one of the big parts of the one of the tenets of the church is there the like the world's going to end eventually on x day and X-Day was originally slotted for July 5th, 1998. And that came and went, and there were no UFOs um, driven by sex goddesses to come whisk off the, the subgenii to planet X to, to live out the rest of their eternity partying. Um, and then—but the fact that this was coming along, the, the the church decided, like, we don't know what's going to happen to the pinks after that, so mm-hmm. we need to decide— and the schism was formed between people who said, Well, there'll probably be sub subgenii who want to stay and rule the world and we can just let them rule the pinks from there on out. And then the other group said, No, 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 all the pinks are going to be slaughtered on next day. There won't be any pinks left. And apparently this um this this differing opinion on on basic church doctrine like was a a, a thread that was carried on for a very long time.
0: It was, and I think we just need to be really clear. A Schism was written into the script of the Church of the Subgenius. Okay. It was – nothing formed. It was – they wrote a heel, basically, into their wrestling show (laughs) uh, with Papa Joe Mama, Mm -hmm. who was the leader of the Holocaustals, who believed – and again, all in jest, but he believed, like, go out and shoot the rich, basically. Right. Like, kill these people. And I think it was Stang was the leader of the evangelicals, which was, yeah, let's just make enslave them basically and keep them alive. Right. And um, two things here. First of all, in that they they eventually had a big show in the 80s, kind of jumping back uh, in San Francisco. They had had these sort of small tent devivals with 100 people. Mm -hmm. And then in San Francisco, they booked this theater for two nights, 900 seat theater for two nights and we're like we don't really know if we can do this and they had set builders and set designers and it became a real actual thing the news covered it and they did they covered it and they they had a fake assassination of Bob Bob finally came out he
1: walked out on stage and then bang <laughs> he was immediately <laughs> shot
0: but apparently they started doing this a lot Bob had you know Bob had many many lives and could be killed over and over again right. assassinated mm-hmm. um so there was that and then after X day judging from the documentary is, is when it seemed to like kind of go bad and not go bad in that everybody really started believing and it became this really scary thing, Mm -hmm. but it it sort of lost its judge a little bit. And there were some people, and I think one person specifically even went up to Stang. Uh, I don't know if it was the X day. I think it was the San Francisco show in 1984. Okay. And, um, he was, you know, obviously someone who needed some real help because he thought this was all real, uh, was was livid that it wasn't being taken seriously and that people were laughing. And that's when Stang was like, oh, man, like kind of this was bound to happen, mm-hmm. but it also made him sad because I'd never wanted anything like this.
1: Right. And that was um the reason why. So like the documentary that was made by Sandy K. Boone – um, who was involved in a few other um, pretty pretty great documentaries recently, including Tower? I don't think it's the Tower, just Tower, the one about the um, the Charles Whitman, the the shooting at the University oh, of Texas that. back in the sixties. Oh, it's amazing! So remember Waking Life, that that mm-hmm. whole thing Linkletter did with the animation. Oh, they, yeah. they did that for this documentary, and it really like had a oh, great impact. Oh, the rotoscoping, cool. Yes, so. Um, uh, she was involved in that as well, but she made this documentary. Apparently her late husband was like what, a great adherent and in the Church of the Subgenius, and she made it also kind of as an ode, ode to him as well. Um, but in it, Stang and Philo break character, and like yeah. they hadn't broken character for 30-something years, right? Like they've done interviews, uh, they've like like print TV, radio, like they've done the radio show, they've like written tons of books Um, they just don't break character. That's just part of their jam. And for this documentary, they did. And they said the reason why, at least Stang said the reason why he did um, was because they're kind of getting on in years and he wants to make sure that it's perfectly clear before he dies (laughs) that this is a joke and that everybody knows it was a joke and it's always been a joke and there's, like, you need to take it as a joke so that it doesn't accidentally turn into something like Scientology down down the line. Yeah, he said uh, – you watched it, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't he, watch it right before this. I, I saw it several months ago.
0: Yeah, he said um, – and this kind of sums it up in, in the way that it makes sense, but it doesn't. And this is in relation to that that guy who really came up to him mm-hmm. and other people that really thought it was real. He said, we wanted, we always wanted to trick people, but we didn't really want to
1: trick people. <laughs> right, yes, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. They were fascinated by the fact that people could be tricked – yeah, and they wanted to explore that and make fun of it, and they invited other people to explore it and make fun of it. But it, it wasn't to hurt anybody. That they were they weren't actually trying to exploit anybody. Like the idea of having yeah. you having you become a part, become a member, send in your dollar, become ordained, buy into all that sales stuff was to point out that that's what was going on in the real world. You know.
0: Yeah, and this sort of came to a head um, in the 90s when they – it was just after Columbine. They had a live show planned in Boston, and Papa Joe Mama, who was, again, their sort of scripted heel agent provocateur, got on, a I think, a radio show and somehow referenced Columbine. It was a little unclear.
1: I think he blamed Columbine on the Church of the Subgenius.
0: Oh, was that what it was? I believe so. Okay, because I couldn't quite tell what the reference was, but – it was clear that that was over the line for, for both Philo and Stang. Mm-hmm. And the show was originally canceled by the theater. And then a real church, I think like an Episcopal church, stepped up weirdly and said, you can have it at our church. And then they got bomb threats. And they said, well, no, I guess we can't do that. And then I think they ended up having it in a, a like a public park or something. Weird. But that was sort of like where it, you know, the, the 90s weren't too kind to the not just like the numbers but you know once the internet was born and that was like really when the consumer culture and the internet boom happened for real mm-hmm. it was just so antithetical to the church of the subgenius it seemed to kind of fade away um until later on when the internet kind of helped revive it again
1: so my take is that the the what really kind of led it down hill not to say that there's like like a not to say that it's it went downhill on its own like that just just the world changed yeah and there was there like it the world became the parody not it wasn't like straight any longer it was just a a joke but that was real life now so you yeah. can't satirize something that is the satire that you're coming up with there's just no way to do it no that's absolutely right and that's you know, America changed quite a bit in the last like 20 years. And the, the, like, what do you, like, how, you just can't, you can't satirize something when it becomes this weird version of itself that you were using before. It, it encroached on your turf, kind of thing, you know?
0: Yeah. And then the last like 10 minutes of the documentary sort of focus on the Trump administration and these fringe groups that started online there saying this crazy made up stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that really puts a hurting, like you said, on something like the Church of the Subgenius yeah. um, as far as being – and they, their numbers were never huge. But uh, I get the idea from watching it that Stang still has people that write in that still send him some money. He told one funny joke about getting a, a payment upon receipt envelope that like, he had to pay $2 to even open this thing, <laughs> and he was all perturbed about that, and there was $1,000 in cash Oh, in really? It. And he took half of it and immediately took it to a sick friend. Like, that's the kind of guy he is.
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he struck me as that as well. But
0: he's still, you know, paying his mortgage, stuffing envelopes.
1: Well, yeah, because I think, like, if you go back and you read the original books and, you know, even still I was reading, like, the wikia that explained all of the different stuff um, is hilarious and, like, totally worthwhile and still applies today. Um, like it's like, in a in a certain way, it's timeless, even though it screams Reagan era, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, um, yeah.
1: but the, the, it's still, it still makes sense because we still have like a consumer driven culture that is, that has a lot to do with gender norms and conformity and, um, exploiting people for their labor. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like all that stuff is still going on. So the original stuff still, still stands and still holds.
0: Yeah, and they, you know, Mark Motherspaugh of Devo and um, I can't remember the other guy's name in Devo. They were way into it. Mm-hmm. Penn Gillette, Nick Offerman, Richard Linklater, Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse, head of Bob Dobbs mm-hmm. on his big wall collage. Yeah. These were all people that were attracted to it. It was a lot of dudes, of course, uh, but they do interview a few of the women in the original group that said, like, we were outcasts and we wanted to meet these weirdo guys, and this is where we did it. Like, we went there because it was mostly guys. Yeah. And, and you know, we could meet these, these dudes, uh, but it was very male oriented. And, um, I don't know, I just like I said, I never, I always had fun reading about it and hearing about it, but never wanted to get too involved just because I'm too much of a pink, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, yes, it is a lot of fun to read about for sure. Like, there's a lot of stuff out there on the internet to read. Um, and I, yeah, this is like 10% of it. I encourage. Yeah. There's there. It's huge. It's an enormous, huge rambling. Um, like wh- what do you call a group of, uh, beliefs in, in scripture and doctrine? M- uh, mythos, I guess. Maybe. Um, yeah. Canon. Yeah. Canon. That's what I was looking for. There's a huge extensive canon and it's a lot of fun, especially the older stuff. Some of the newer stuff is not that funny because it's, and I don't mean new. I mean like mid-2000s, the mid-aughts kind of stuff yeah. started to really lose its sense of humor. Some people lost their sense of humor and got real serious about it. The mm. The 80s and 90s stuff is hilarious. Yeah. Um, I strongly recommend going to read uh, An Explanation of the Male to Female Discrepancy in the Church of the Subgenius by <laughs> Reverend Nancy Regalia. Um, and, or by uh, the real book. Yeah, well, I don't think that was in the book. That was oh, just okay. supplemental stuff. It was an essay explaining it. But it also is more like a kind of a call to arms for those girls who never felt like or always recognized that they were kind of being forced into certain gender roles and didn't ever feel good about it. Um, yeah. She she had a quote, it's, it's not enough to simply burn your bras. Why stop there? Burn a few bridal boutiques in City Hall while you're at it. <laughs> It's just a, a, fight it's a good essay. It's a good <laughs> essay for sure. Totally worth reading. So, good stuff. yeah, there's a lot more to say about the Church of the Subgenius, but we'll just leave it to you. I feel like we should just part with. It's a joke. It is a joke. Ultimately, it's a joke, and take it as that. Okay.
0: Uh...
1: <laughs> Man, you got that down. You got some Yeti in you, Pink Boy. Ooh, maybe. Uh, and since I called Chuck a Pink Boy, it's time for listener mail.
0: Uh, Keeping it short and sweet here with a quick correction from a new listener.
1: Okay.
0: Hi, guys. I'm a very new listener, and I love what I've heard so far. However, just three episodes in (laughs) about the Magna Carta, one of you offhandedly suggested that William the Conqueror was a beloved English king because he annexed Normandy after the Battle of Hastings. That was me. That's pretty much backwards, guys. He was a Norman king who conquered England at that battle. Mm -hmm. William's story would make a great episode. That is from Scott Scattergood
1: in Suwon, Korea. Well, Scott, since you're new, you obviously don't know that most of the viewpoint that we give on stuff you should know is from the Vikings' viewpoint. <laughs> so we had it right. Okay, good. Uh, Scott Scattergood, what a great name. Right? Yeah. What happens if you scramble Scott around? He scatter's good. <laughs> Uh, If you want to get in touch with us like Scott did, you can send us an email to stuffpodcasts at iHeartRadio.com.
0: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app,
1: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.